Today we are beginning a new sermon series based on the book Renovite, Building a Life with God by Jacob Armstrong, who's the founding pastor of uh, Providence United Methodist Church in Mount Juliet, Tennessee, which is just uh, east and a little bit north of uh, Nashville, Tennessee. So we'll be using this book throughout this time. And I need to give you a disclosure. This is using the kind of renovation, DIY, fix up the house metaphor throughout the series. And I know nothing about any of that. So I'm just letting you know there are parts of these metaphor that I can do sort of okay with and parts of it I'm going to completely bomb. So just, I apologize. <laughs> this, is, this area is not my strong suit, but... The part that I really, really connect to in this is the talk about ourselves and our own need for renovation, and hopefully I can do a better job with that part. Uh, but just a little, a little warning, the renovation motif is not my strong suit when we're talking about houses. Our scripture for today is just a very short but powerful passage from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5a. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. This is the word of God for all of us. Thanks be to God. I ask you to pray with me. May the words that I say and the reflections that go through all of our minds, may these give you pleasure, God, you who are our rock, you who save us. Amen. My friend Lori married a guy who's a building contractor. And for the next about 20 years of her life, she lived in a house that was torn apart. <laughs> Keith could always find something that needed fixing up in their old house. But in addition to that, he had that problem that I think is common in a lot of our professions, where we're really good at doing it when we're out working, and then when we come home, not so much. So... Keith was out, very competent, very successful builder in the Naperville area, built a lot of homes, and then he would come home, and did he feel like working on the room he had torn up? No, he did not, <laughs> because he'd been doing that outside in his workday all, he came home, oof, he'd tear things apart, it would take him quite a while to get it started up, you know, to get it finished up. When I would go over to visit Lori, I would always walk through some form of construction site, and I would always say, Lori, I don't know how you handle this. She married him, she loved him, she got used to it, but her life was constantly a form of kind of chaos in her house. I have to tell you that I am the polar opposite. I lead a very chaotic life, I love my life, I go a lot of different places, I'm with a lot of different people, I'm going, I'm coming, I'm here, I'm there. I come home, I want it to be exactly the way it always is. My home is my place. I have a lot of chaos in my external life. Now, I'm not pretending I'm tidy. I'm not tidy. But when I come home, I don't want it. Do not move my stuff. <laughs> I want to come home. I live alone, so happily my dog doesn't move my stuff. I don't want a lot of external things. And I'm the person, if you're a pastor, you don't want to follow me because I'm not the person who gets the, the parsonage renovated. I'm the person who says, oh, it's good enough. That's me. I've been very fortunate to follow pastors who've done a bunch of work on the parsonage, then I come in and benefit from it. Life is really unfair, and I know I'm part of that chain. But I recognize, I understand the kind of core appeal of renovation. You love seeing what can happen, how this space can be shifted in a way to make it just beautiful in ways we couldn't picture. And although I don't watch the fix up the house, flip the house, you know, kind of all those different TV series, I can understand what people feel when they watch them. Wow, 
I had no idea that could be like that. Even though I personally don't practice that, I understand the appeal of it. What if we follow what Peter tells us and think of ourselves as the spiritual house? Are we willing to let God renovate us? What do we mean by this idea of ourselves being the house? It's that image from 1 Peter about God building us, us being stones into the house that God is building. Also the image of our own selves as the house of God. And so, again, to repeat the 1 Peter passage, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. But Paul wrote about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. And later on in that same chapter, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? So the question is, hmm, what kind of house are we for God? When we think about what kind of house we are for God, it can be pretty challenging. Do we make a lot of room for God? Does, 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 if Jesus is allowed in our houses, does Jesus get free range? Do we allow Jesus to go anywhere in our lives? Or are, more, are we more likely to kind of ghettoize Jesus? Okay, Jesus, you can, be, you can be in my heart. You can give me compassion. But you're not allowed to change how I think about things. No, no access to the brain. Or, well, God, you can be in my speaking. I want to talk about you but you do not get into my brain or into my heart. Uh-uh. You're not going to soften me up. You're not going to make me one of those, ugh, I'm not going to be that. You're not allowed there. Do we allow God in our family lives, but perhaps not in our work lives? Okay, I'm going to try to have a Christian-ordered family life, but when I go out and work, I might have to do some unethical things, so you're not allowed in that part of my life. Do we give Jesus free range? I think there are days that I only let God into my gallbladder. <laughs> Not a real useful part. We can, we can make compromises or wall Jesus off. You get to be in this, but not in that. Kind of like locking up your dog uh, when you leave for work, as some of us do. It's, we don't always make everything available to God. And yet God yearns to be in our homes. Jacob Armstrong tells a powerful story of a young man he met during his first appointment. The first church he served was as an associate pastor in a very formal, sounds a little stuffy, congregation in Atlanta. And the pastor sat in these big kind of throne chairs, and it was a very formal pipe organ, and there was a big sign outside, no food or drink in the sanctuary. Very formal, proper congregation. So one day during the opening hymn, a man walked up the front aisle and sat in the second pew right about where Carol is, just sat down. He was wearing black shoes, black shorts, a black Metallica t-shirt, a black hat, yes, black socks, and he was carrying a Starbucks. He came in, he sat down, he kind of vaguely balanced the Starbucks on the pew cushion, took off his shoes, put his shoes on the pew in front of him, and then just sat there in his black stocking feet. Jacob Armstrong shares that he saw that and he thought, here come the ushers. He had this image of the ushers coming from the balcony and rappelling down and swooping this guy because he was not dressed right. He was not acting right. He clearly didn't belong. Now, the wonderful news is the ushers did nothing of the kind and no one gave this guy a hard time at all. And that really... uh, 
touch Jacob's heart of the true heart of this congregation, a little more formal, but obviously a congregation of love. Jacob was eager, though, to get to know him. And every Sunday then, Andrew came, he sat in that space, but then during the closing hymn, he walked out, never stayed around to talk. Jacob would try to run after him. The guy had always gotten out first. After several weeks of this young man coming in, all dressed all in black with his Starbucks, sitting in the second pew, then one day something touched him deeply in the service. And at the end of the, during that closing hymn, instead of walking out, he walked up to the altar and he wept. Jacob came up, put a hand on his shoulder and said, hey, can, I'll pray with you and can we meet for lunch? The next day, Jacob met with him, learned that his name is Andrew, and Andrew just poured out for about two hours, just poured out his story of what his life had been like and all the struggles he'd experienced. Jacob asked him, well, Andrew, what do you think about Jesus? And Andrew said, no one ever talked to me about Jesus. Oh, Jacob thought, this poor guy, how did he get this far in life? And no one ever told him about Jesus. He never had access to prayer. He never had an awareness of that kind of grace in his life. This poor guy, Jacob's heart just broke for Andrew. They got to know each other over the weeks to come and... Uh, Andrew just kind of was slow and kept some boundaries up. But then after uh, several months, he called Jacob up and asked to meet with him. It was in the evening. It was dark in the sanctuary. Andrew again was sobbing. And Jacob and he spoke. And Andrew said he was ready to be baptized. He wanted Jesus in his life. Uh, this is one of the most powerful renovation stories, Jacob says, that he ever experienced in his life, watching what God could do in Andrew. And Andrew, uh, now here's the funny part. Andrew underwent a massive interior renovation where Christ worked in him and changed his heart and healed him. But be, let us be clear, the outside never changed. He was still in the black shoes, he was still in the shorts, he was still in the Metallica t-shirt, and he still brought his Starbucks in. So just, you know, God changes our insides, sometimes our outsides stay exactly the same. But it, Andrew went on to enter the Air Force, and he now is an officer in the Air Force. His, his life has just turned around from what he was experiencing when he first walked in during the opening hymn so many years ago. It is beautiful to see Jesus carry out a renovation what can happen in us if we open ourselves up to Christ's love and the Holy Spirit's grace in our lives. The challenge is we don't always want to let him in. I talked about how we may want to get a why. Sometimes we're embarrassed of what he might see inside. Many of us keep the exteriors of our houses looking pretty together, but the interior, ooh, I'm not so sure I want you to see that. Jacob Armstrong talks about living with his wife and his two daughters. And if someone's going to go over to visit him, he'd really prefer that they call first. Because if they were going to come into his house, they'd find the girl's backpack contents. And sometimes he takes off his shoes when he gets home from work and just leaves them by the couch and mess over here and mess over there. And if someone just stops by, he's pretty likely to say, hey, let's just sit on the front porch, have a little iced tea, don't come in. I don't want you to see my mess. When I read uh, Jacob Armstrong's description of his house, I thought, oh my gosh, he knows me. If you ever want to come to my house, please call first. If you come in unprepared, 
it's not going to be pretty at all. I live alone. I have a dog. My dog sheds. Once a month, I have a cleaning person come in. She is a gift from God. And once a month, my house is clean for a few days. But the week before the cleaning person comes, it is not pretty. There are little, little puffs of Hildy hair around. And I don't always manage the paper of my life super well. So sometimes my dining room table is covered with mail and church stuff and all of that. And again, I live alone. No one sees it, but it, it's not pretty. And Hildy likes to sleep on my dirty laundry. Yeah. Yep. So I can put my dirty laundry in a laundry bag, but she will take her nose and paw and she will pull out my underwear and make a kind of lovely pile of my dirty laundry, and then she lies on it. Now, you may be thinking, buy the dog a dog bed. She has a dog bed. She prefers my dirty laundry. I live alone. I don't really care that on that side of my bed there is a pile of dirty laundry that has, you know, kind of hildy hair in it because that's where she often sleeps. Who sees it? But if you all showed up, I'd be mortified. (laughs) Like, oh my gosh, there's the laundry pot. It just, we don't always want people to see our insides. We don't always want people to see the inside of our houses. We don't always want people to see the insides of our souls. Sometimes it's not quite as tidy as we want it to be. Somehow it happens that over time, the insides get a little out of whack. They get not quite in line with where they should be. And the tragic thing is that sometimes they get out of line with the things that are good. Sometimes our lives get out of whack even in the midst of our serving God. I had a very telling moment last week. Uh, Mary and I both serve, Mary English and I both serve on the committee uh, to support our district superintendent, the dist- Lisa Cruz Safford, the district superintendency committee. And I live very much by my calendar. I, I just, that's what my life is like. So many things in my life are calendared. The meeting was going to be hosted here in our coffee house. And so I had noticed that this meeting had been scheduled, but I hadn't heard anything about it. So I sent an email to the chair, who's a farmer. And, oh yes, that's right, I forgot about that. And an email went out and we had our meeting. But the farmer, John Lamoureux, who is a beautiful man of God from Lanark, got here first, and he and I had this brief interchange, and he was, you know, kind of embarrassed that he hadn't remembered it, and I said, John, you're in my lives are so different. My life is very scheduled. I'm in meetings and planning sessions, and a lot of my life is by the calendar. I said, you're, you're a farmer. You can't say on October 3rd, I'm going to bring in the harvest. It's the seasons, and it's the weather, and you don't live a very calendared life, I'm guessing, and he said, no, I really don't. And without thinking, I said, yeah, I'm in my calendar more than I'm in my Bible. And you know what? That was a quip, but it's the truth. I am in my calendar so much. I am constantly opening my calendar. I am constantly scheduling things. And I promise you, I'm in my Bible. But if you had to count the amount of time, I I think the calendar would win. That's messed up. That's not how it should be. How is it that in all the tasks for Jesus, sometimes Jesus gets drowned out? And I bet I'm not the only one here who knows what that's like, how we get so busy in the tasks of of our days, even our ministry tasks, 
that we don't just spend that fundamental time with Jesus, just soaking ourselves in God's word, spending extended time in prayer. I get too busy, which is exactly what Jesus doesn't want me to do. I need renovation. Jacob Armstrong tells a powerful story about a summer when he worked as a summer intern. It was with an organization like our Rockford Work Camps. He was a college student, and he would be the one who would go out to the work sites and meet the high school groups that came in and uh, would work on different projects. So for this particular week, the project was to do uh, shingle work, redoing the roof of a woman named Barbara. She was in her mid-50s, and her roof clearly needed repair, and so Jacob was the college student on site while the high schoolers were up on the roof redoing the shingles. First day, a young woman came down and just said, Jacob, I, I got to use the bathroom. He said, oh, you know, Barbara, the resident, you can go in and, and see, if, you know, see if you can use the bathroom. So the high school student went in and took a while to come out. And when she came out, her face was ashen. Jacob, have you ever been inside? No, we're doing the roof. Oh, you've got to see the inside. And Jacob walked in, and dear Barbara was a hoarder, a very serious hoarder. There were piles of paper all over the floor, and the high schooler had had a hard time even getting through the piles to get to the bathroom. It was a very, very serious situation. Barbara was living in a very unclean and dangerous environment. Jacob looked at it and immediately knew, this is beyond me. I got to bring in the professionals. And so he told the leaders of his organization and they brought in professionals who started to clean out the house. And as they did, they found that the, the weight of all the stuff had, had damaged the flooring. And okay, this is where I get out of my depth, but joists and various things had to be repaired because of the weight of all the stuff. And there was vermin and water and mold. I mean, it was just a terrible situation. They had to bring in the professionals. And during that time that the professionals were cleaning it out and readjusting the inside for Barbara, part of that time Jacob sat outside, kind of on the front porch area, and different items would be brought out as they were sorting out what to get rid of and what to keep. And they brought out a photograph. Jacob showed it to Barbara. It looked like it might be a family photo. And Barbara pointed and said, that's my son. Jacob learned that her son had been killed in an industrial accident. And from the moment of her son's death, she had not given away or thrown out a single thing. What you saw in that house was grief. Everything she had touched from the loss of her son was all crammed in there, and she could not deliver herself. Brothers and sisters, when we talk about the renovation that God wants to do in us, it's not our doing. We are not going to have weeks of my telling you, you need to do this, you need to do that. We, we can't fix this. We need the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and renovate us. We need that help. We just need to open up the space and let God in so that God can, can make of us a beautiful spiritual house, which is God's desire for us. But no, we, we, this is not a DIY the good news is that it's never too late for renovation. In whatever circumstance we face, in, every, in whatever part of our insides that needs soul care, 
Jesus can come and bring beautiful and powerful new life. I'd like to share with you two passages that describe that beautifully. The first passage comes from 1 Peter, this time chapter 5. The God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. God's desire for our lives is strength and firmness and steadfastness. God wants to work in us and the outcome will be beautiful and powerful because that's God's desire for us, not to feel ashamed of our insides, not to be hiding and closing off, but to be cleaned out through God's grace and strengthened and freed. Another passage is Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. This comes from Eugene Peterson's um, The Message. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It is such good news. It is never too late for renovation. We can invite Christ into our hearts and let him work in us to restore us, to renovate us, to heal us, to renew us, to make us beautiful houses for God. I'd ask you to invite to, I'd invite you to join me in prayer. God of grace, we know that we need your renovation. We know that there are parts of our insides that are too rigid, uh, that have, we've allowed to become dirty, that we have tried to wall off from you. We need you to soften us, to clean us out, to uh, make your home in all aspects of our lives, all in our souls. Help us soften and invite you in. Help us welcome you and to trust that your coming is not to punish, but to love, to save, to renew. Help us be open and allow you to do the work you so yearn to do for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.